Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and holy crap, the college basketball season starts this week. The last time we had a real game was April 8th. That was nearly seven months ago. Virginia over Texas Tech in the final game of the 2019 NCAA tournament. We start again Tuesday and let this serve as your reminder that we will now be recording podcasts three times a week, typically Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. It's quick, it's easy, it helps us and it ensures you're going to get the newest episode sent right to your phone just as soon as we publish them. While you're there, please give us a five-star rating and leave a nice comment. Something like this would work. I mean, you can change up a few words, but like basically this will be, be fine. Uh, I love Gary Parish and can't imagine a world without him talking about college basketball on this podcast. I'd rather die than live in that world. Uh, to be clear, you can write anything uh, nice that you want, but something along those lines would definitely work. And each Sunday going forward, I'm going to share the comment that makes me smile biggest. So you could get your own special shout out on this podcast if you leave a nice comment just like Devin Downey and Terry Teagle and the big homie Larnell. Anyway, again, college basketball season starts Tuesday. Woohoo! Obviously, Champions Classic is at Madison Square Garden, and that is the main attraction. It's number three, Kansas, versus number four, Duke, followed by number one, Michigan State, versus number two, Kentucky. The top four teams in the nation in the AP poll under one roof, four Hall of Fame coaches on the sidelines. Should be awesome, and we will get to that momentarily. But first, trivia time, Norlander. Right away? Right away. Early trivia time. We're returning three times a week, and within two minutes, we're going right to trivia time. I got some for you, too, but uh, but we'll save that. Okay, fire away. Let's do this. Can you name the first ranked team, according to the AP poll, that will play a regular season game this season? What? Okay, so the season starts Tuesday. Champions Classic is Tuesday night, but there are day games on Tuesday. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. Baylor. It's the Baylor Bears. Yeah. How did you know that? Come at me with a real question next time. Like, what are we Central, doing? Central Arkansas at Baylor, noon Eastern, yeah. on Tuesday on ESPN+. Plus. You're already fired up about the Baylor Like, Bears? I don't even know. Yeah, like, I don't know that's already the case. Of course. Baylor's the first. Baylor Central Arkansas. That's the, that's the game that's going to kick off the damn season. Yeah. I knew Scott, that. Drew, Scott Drew's going to be so happy yeah. with you, so pleased with you. You've got you've got Central Arkansas at Baylor. Central Arkansas visiting Waco uh, on your radar. It's the return. It's the return of Tristan Clark. He only played 14 games last season, missed the rest of the season with a torn meniscus, but he averaged. He was really awesome. 14.6 points, 6.3 rebounds in those 14 games, and that made him on the season, if you count him, Baylor's second-leading scorer and second-leading rebounder. He shot 73.7% from the field. That would have ranked second nationally behind only Taco Fall. He's like, if you don't mind me saying, he's like a bigger modern-day Terry Teagle. Shout out to Terry Teagle. He's the legend. Baylor's number 20 in the top 25 and one, number 20 in Norlander's 1 to 353 rankings, number 16 in the AP poll, though. So it sounds like we've got uh, 
we've we've got Tristan Clark and the Baylor Bears may be underrated. At least the AP poll uh, AP poll voters think so. Maybe we'll see. Um, Baylor, you know, ceiling of second, maybe. Uh, Maybe first we'll see. I think a floor of fourth in the Big 12 overall. By the way, Central Arkansas, I got a little note. Not a trivia time, but just a little nugget. I believe. Do you realize how hard it is with 353 teams to have a unique color scheme? You're bound to double up somewhere, but I think that Central Arkansas is the only team in Division One men's basketball that has purple on gray as its color scheme. So that's all I got for you with that game. But you purple didn't know that, though. Purple on gray. Purple on what, gray. What will they be wearing in Waco on Tuesday afternoon? I would assume they'll be wearing their road purples. The road purple, yes. Central Arkansas road purple. What is the Central Arkansas mascot? Uh, the wool. I'm so angry. I don't know this. Do you have it in front of you? I don't. I okay. No I, my I, first I, guess is the wolves. I think they're the wolves. Okay, if they're not, that, give me a second guess. Central Arkansas. Arkansas let's see. Are they the wolves? Come on. Central Arkansas. They are 259 in the Ken Palm preseason ratings. Right out of Conway, Arkansas, and they're the Central Arkansas Bears. Damn it. We got Bears on Bears? It's Bears on Bears to start the season. I'm First of all, I'm supremely annoyed that I missed that because 353 teams, we're not going to do this on this podcast, but if you ask me the nickname of all 353, I've got a high degree of confidence that I can give you like 320-plus correctly. The Bears. Let's not talk about the Bears. Because do my, you know my Central Arkansas's coach? Yeah, okay. Russ Pinnell? Do you know what he's most famous for? Yes, I do know what he's most famous for. Before I answer, do the listeners, if you want to take a second to pause the podcast, think about it. Maybe that – first of all, I'm right, right? It's Russ Pinnell? Yes. Bada boom. So um, if that name kind of gives you a, a faint glimmer in the mind, pause it, think about it, then continue here. He is most known for taking over – the Arizona basketball program, I believe after Luke, correct? Correct. He was yes. an interim coach at Arizona. Um, he was on Luke's staff and then became the interim coach at Arizona. He once was the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats. Look at us talking Central Arkansas. I love this, by the way. I, he, the, I'll do it any day of the week. The fact that Paris has wandered into this lane is stunning to me. Uh, but, yeah, that'll be the first game of the season. I'm, I'm so ready for the season to get here. So I hope that it, people that are downloading this, the hardcores that are listening to this on Sunday night, shouts to all of you. Uh, much appreciated uh, big time. Um, but, yeah, season gets going. Actually, you know what? I'll share this quick podcast. No, I was going to share it at the end. First of all, I went to a buddy's 40th birthday party on Saturday night, ran into another buddy who I haven't seen in a while. He said he, he doesn't listen to us except for March, but – he downloads us just to keep the download numbers going. So he doesn't. Uh, he's not going to listen to this podcast. But and I've never even asked him. To, I didn't even know he was a listener. And he kind of quasi is. But he's like, dude, I know you do it. I know the podcast is a big deal. I just I download every episode. I just don't listen to you till I till March. So shouts to him. And then shouts to how about this? So I saw another old buddy at this party that I had not seen in like six or seven years. Who I went to to college with, and he's a music teacher in a, a separate part of Connecticut. And he goes. Um, yeah, man, like I was like, I have not talked to this guy in literally a couple of years, just an old buddy. I just haven't seen, you know, life gets in the way, whatever he goes. Yeah, I was talking, uh, he's a music teacher and he was talking with an English teacher at, uh, at this high school, uh, Shasta Nanawag, uh, uh, in Connecticut. And he goes, yeah, this English teacher was like, wait a second, wait a second. You know, Matt Norlander, <laughs> wait, are you serious? And so then 
later on, I took a photo with my buddy. He sent the English teacher the photo. He goes, I got the pod on lock. Shouts to Devin Downey. <laughs> One of those small world things. So I don't remember the gentleman's name, but I know he'll be listening to this. Shouts to you, good sir. Hope we can eat one day. But that's just uh, that kind of stuff is really, really cool when the podcast, you know, injects into our everyday lives as it uh, will be more and more now that the season is here. This unintentional path that we took uh, from Waco to a former Arizona interim head coach is exactly how one time we started talking about camel fighting. You yes. realize that, right? And Devin Downey and <laughs> Terry Teagle and Leaky Black and all of it. And there will be many more instances of that to come this season. There's no doubt about uh- it. So, yes, Baylor will be the first-ranked team to play on Tuesday. That game's going to be at noon Eastern. It's Baylor Central Arkansas from Waco, and you can watch it on ESPN+. Meantime, Norlander and I are both going to be in New York City. The Champions Classic is Tuesday night. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So there are only two games on Tuesday, which launches the college basketball season, between ranked teams, and they're both going to be at Madison Square Garden, and we could not start this season any better. So let's take those games in the order in which they're going to be played. We know that um, it's number one against number two and number three against number four, but number three against number four is the early game. It's going to tip at 7 Eastern. Let's start there. Number three, Kansas, against number four, Duke. Duke open. As a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So that's interesting. The Blue Devils are replacing four of their top four scores from last season, most notably Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. Still, Trey Jones is back. That obviously helps. And another top three recruiting class has enrolled in Durham, headlined by Vernon Carey, Matthew Hurt, and Cassius Stanley. On the other side, Kansas Jayhawks. Deidre Glosson is gone. LeGerald Vick is gone. But they get back Devon Dodson. Yudoka uh, Azabuki is now healthy. Silvio D'Souza is eligible. It's Duke, Kansas at MSG. Norlander, what interests you most about this season opening, Jim? Uh, in this particular game, I'm most interested to see how awesome Kansas is or is not right off the bat here because Kansas has a great inside-outside combo with Azabuki and Dotson, as you just mentioned. Isaiah Moss, a critical grad transfer coming by way of Iowa, I think could be a pretty important factor in this game as well. But I want to see if Kansas, which is coming off uh, you know, a struggling season by their standards, and it was the second-worst season statistically under the 
15, 16 year head coaching career at KU with Bill Self. Uh, do they come out uh, just absolutely on fire against a, a Duke program that will have a couple of returning faces and certainly uh, ACC hardcores and Duke hardcores know who those people are. But by and large, uh, to the general national audience here, Trey Jones will be a recognizable name and then it will be no one else. I mean, guys like Jack White or Alex O'Connell or Javon Delorier, if they get some burn, and I do think that they will, uh, they still have not been uh, players of serious impact overall. So how will Duke look right away? And will Duke have a little bit of uh, uh, a Kentucky feel from some season past? And by that, I mean we have had teams with Kentucky that have had the, the big changeover, as has Duke. But Duke has largely avoided the – um, you know, the November hiccups, so to speak, whereas Kentucky has had some teams. I don't think this one will be one, by the way, but in the past, Kentucky has had some teams that have really needed about eight or ten games to find a groove there. I get the sense that will be the case with Duke. Obviously, those who have been listening to the podcast in the build-up to the start of the regular season are aware of the fact that Parrish and I differ on where Duke stands overall. In fact, by the way, a quick side note promotion. If you want video of GP and I talking Duke all the all the teams in the Champions Classic and overarching uh, preview of the season. Just go to the CBS Sports uh, video channel. We did a whole bunch of stuff for HQ, and um, if you want more of us, trust me, you can get it there. And we talk about that a lot there, particularly where uh, GP's way higher on Duke than I am. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, but I, I'm. I had to convince myself to talk Duke into top 10 status in the preseason, whereas GP thinks that they are pretty firmly set up to be a top three team by the end of the season. Um, so I think that Duke will be uh, maybe defensively a little bit suspect in this one. I think Kansas can come out and be the stronger defensive team, and ultimately that could be the difference in the game. I wonder if, Parrish, I wonder if Duke being the favorite there is primarily because of two factors. One, the opening market was playing to the public, which would be more likely to bet Duke over you know, what would be perceived to be a fairly even game in terms of the rankings overall. And then judging based off of last season, not the fact that Duke isn't returning Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, but the fact that Kansas was so underwhelming that the, the anticipation would be that the money would be more toward Duke, and so they wanted to lean it that way. To me, and I haven't looked at the Ken Palm projection. Let me bring that up real quick. I'm going to guess it, too. I'm going to say Pomeroy picks this at Kansas by two. Let's see what we have here. Oh, you know what? I'm probably going to be wrong because Kansas is lower than Duke in his rankings. So he's got it. Yeah, he's got Kansas losing by four, which actually shouldn't be a surprise because usually the betting markets mirror what Ken Palm has overall. Anyway, uh, being a little long-winded here, Paris, I like, I'll spoil it. I don't know if you wanted this for a separate segment, but I like Kansas to win this game and not in a blowout fashion by single digits, but I just, I think we'll get down to the three or four minute mark here and realize that Kansas has looked like the better team over the course of the game and it will close out that way. I've got Duke, I believe, number two in the preseason top 25 and one. And so given that, I'm just going to take Duke to win the game. Otherwise, I should probably have Kansas number two and Duke lower than the Jayhawks. So I'm just going to stay true to my preseason rankings. But, um, yeah, I mean, Duke's going to be relying on a lot of of, of new faces. Uh, like you said, Trey Jones is, is familiar, but – um, they're replacing four of the top five scores from from that team. Um, now they're replacing it with another great recruiting class. And it, what's most interesting to me from from Duke's perspective is that no, I don't think there's a Zion Williamson on this team because I don't think there's another Zion Williamson on the planet. And this time last year, R.J. Barrett was the projected number one pick in the 2019 NBA draft. Um, obviously, they don't have a guy like that on this roster. But I will say. You go look at Jonathan Gavoni's um, mock draft for 2020 right now, and he's got four 
Duke players projected to go in the top 30, projected to go in the first round. It's Matthew Hurt, Trey Jones, Wendell Moore, and Vernon Carey. That's more than any other team in the country. So if we are talking first-round NBA talent, at least according to Jonathan, uh, Duke is more talented than anybody in the country. So Duke might not be as talented, certainly at the top of its roster, as it was last season. They had the first pick in the draft, the third pick in the draft, and the tenth pick in the draft. They might not have a top ten pick in this 2020 NBA draft. But Jonathan right now has got Matthew Hurt going 16th, Trey Jones going 18th, Wendell Moore going 19th, Vernon Carey going 27th. And if that is true, and I think Jonathan's obviously very good at his job, so we can reasonably trust that he's got as good of a grasp, if not a better grasp, than just about anybody on this topic, um, Duke is still super talented. And when you are experienced and rock solid at the point guard position, and then you've got a stretch four like Matthew Hurt, who is a projected first-round pick, and a big-bodied center in Vernon Carey, a projected first-round pick. Yeah, I, I'm a believer. I, I think they're going to be very good again. It doesn't mean that I think they're going to run Kansas off the court. They might not even win the game, but I'm a believer in Duke. I know what they lost, but they're still more talented than just about anybody else in the country. Yeah, I'll go under on 3.5 Duke players or four Duke players going in the first round on the June 20th. I'll say they'll get three. I don't think they're going to have four. I don't think they have four first-round picks on this team. But preseason projections versus where we are by the time the season's all said and done with, and we have draft workouts and all that good stuff. Um, certainly still a talented team, and I'm excited to see what Trey Jones can be. Um, uh, it's it's ridiculous and in a good way that this is the undercard for, for Tuesday night, though, um, that you can have uh, Duke and Kansas 3-4. Uh, this is also uh, – this is a first. It kind of goes without saying, but we've never had one, two, three, and four uh, on the opening night of the season because Champions Classic, you know, being on the opening night of the season was a, a first-time thing last season, and now obviously that should probably continue to be tradition in perpetuity here. So that is also uh, a really cool thing for college troops that you not only have that, but uh, these big brands, but it is one, two, three, and four in the polls to start the season. One other thing I wanted to note, um, Vernon Carey, when's the last time you – really heard people talking about him before right now uh i would i would almost well his dad is a football player if you're talking about the name but i mean when we were covering it on the prep circuit yeah but otherwise i don't know what you're getting at here it well, it's interesting because at one point in time and it wasn't that long ago some people thought vernon carey was the number one player in the class of 2019 like some people you know you'd hear these arguments like who do you like james wiseman or vernon carey and I think because of the way the NBA game is now played, Wiseman gets all of the attention because he's seven foot and a freak athlete and he runs the way you want a guy to run and he can switch pick and rolls and, and he, he can jump the way you want a guy to jump and he can step away from the basket and make a three. And meantime, Vernon Carey is like a borderline projected first round draft pick because He's a not he's a he's a unathletic, big body, traditional center. And so I totally get why he's not projected to go in the lottery of the 2020 NBA draft. It might not even go in the first round. But in college basketball, guys like him can still be awesome. Yudoka Azabuki is 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 a similar I, I don't want to compare them as players, but big bodied center, nothing but a center. It will probably limit what he can be in the NBA. I'm talking about Doak. But it won't prevent him from being an awesome college basketball player. And it'll be interesting if we look up in, 
I don't know, a month or maybe just like late Tuesday night and go, Vernon Carey was at one point considered a, a candidate to be the number one player in his high school class. I think ultimately he landed at like number six in the class of 2019. But just because he's not an a perfect NBA prospect doesn't mean we should overlook what he can be at the collegiate level. And I really do think a lot of people have probably just sort of pushed him, maybe not off the radar, but to the edge of the radar because he's not a projected lottery pick by anybody. That could be fair. Um, I think long-term big picture, I'm more of a seller than a buyer on Vernon Carey, but maybe he's able to step in and be an impact big man right away. Not Again, not the same kind of player, but we'll say, you know, for what Jaleel Okafor did not become it as an NBA player overall, uh, and Carey's not Okafor, um, but he was just awesome at Duke. I mean, he was a tremendous, I believe Okafor was a first-team All-America as a freshman, which is obviously not such a common thing. Not rare, but not all that common overall. So, yeah, keep an eye on Carey uh, and how he is or is not able to handle Azubuki from a one-on-one matchup standpoint. Um, I'm, I'm more intrigued with uh, with Trey versus Dotson, but, uh, but down low, too, you will have some intriguing head-on-head, one-on-one matchups. And then on the other side of it, let's spend just a few minutes on Kansas. They're obviously playing under a big cloud. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they've had a wild offseason. Uh, a notice of allegations has arrived. Um, they are, I would assume, they've been, um, they're dealing with allegations of level one violations. We don't know how the NCAA will ultimately rule on this case, but I think it's reasonable to assume, reasonable to assume that it is possible they're going to have to vacate a Final Four. They're going to have to deal with recruiting sanctions. They could have to deal with a postseason ban someday, not in this season, but some season in the future. And their head coach, Bill Self, might have to uh, deal with a suspension of, 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 of in some form. Um, that, again, I, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying it, it's on the table undeniably. I think even Kansas officials that they were speaking honestly, they know it's on the table, um, at least in theory. And so this NCAA investigation, this case, it could have a big impact on Kansas's past. Again, it could vacate a season. It could have a big impact on Kansas's future. It could lead to a postseason ban and a suspension for their head coach. But it should have really no impact on their present. And the present is awesome. Only one team in the country got more first-place votes in the preseason AP poll than Kansas. That's Michigan State. Kansas was second with three first-place votes. And so, you know, it's Sunday night right now. I'm flying to New York first thing tomorrow morning. Uh, Tomorrow night I'm supposed to meet uh, Bill Self uh, at KU's hotel um, for a quick interview for CBS Sports HQ. So you guys make sure you check that out after we get it done. But I, I'm anxious to talk to Bill because he has said that he is more motivated than ever um, to, to coach at a high level this season. He has taken more bullets, if you will, um, you know, over the past several months than he's ever taken in his life as a college basketball coach. And I, I just think Kansas is a fascinating story because – um, it is, it's wildly considered, fairly or unfairly, I'll let others decide, but it is wildly considered um, this time's rogue program. And yet, man, it will not be the wild. It's not unimaginable for them to, to win tomorrow night, for them to eventually be ranked number one in the, I mean, for them to win Tuesday night, for them to eventually be ranked number one in the country, for them to maybe win a second championship of Bill Self's career right in the season before 
they're about to get hammered by the NCAA. So I couldn't be more intrigued by the Kansas story. Not necessarily this Kansas team that we're going to watch, but everything that comes with Kansas being in Madison Square Garden is um, is a storyline that I do think will will cross over from just a college basketball story to a bigger bigger sports story. I agree. I don't have too much to add to that as we'll weave over to the other game, but I will say this. If you were to kind of just take the big, like, okay, one sentence, what's the storyline with each of these teams? Uh, with Michigan, what is, what are the, what's the thing people should or are paying attention to? It's Michigan State, preseason number one for the first time in school history, uh, conceivably, you know, presumptively the best player in college basketball, Cassius Winston. How do they handle that kind of pressure? Okay. And then with Kansas, it's a whole different set of stuff that you just laid out in terms of all the off-the-court uh, stuff, in terms of sanctions that could and probably should and will be coming with the Jayhawks. Uh, with Duke, it's the post-Zion era period. Like, what are they going to be like without Williamson and what's what are they, what's going to happen here? And then Kentucky, weirdly enough, um, has plenty of, you know, expectations, but uh, the hook with Kentucky is, is the least evident of the four programs, the four schools that are playing in the Champions Classic. They do bring, some, they bring back four, you know, legitimate minutes getters from a season to go. Um, so, you know, that's maybe a little bit higher than they get in most seasons. And, of course, bringing back uh, two starting-level guards is very important to them. But uh, but Kentucky, I think, because it wasn't picked to be number one uh, in, in the country, um, it, and it doesn't have, you know, it's got great freshmen, but it doesn't have the, uh, the, the kind of surefire top five NBA pick or even top ten NBA pick at this point projected, um, you know, uh, there just seems to be a little less on the shoulders of Kentucky as it heads into the season, and I think that'll actually be a pretty good thing for John Calipari and the Wildcats. All right, but let's first go back to um, Kansas and uh, Duke and get our predictions on that game. I, I think we've already made them, but let's make sure we've got it right. Duke is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. At least that's where the line opened. I'm going to take Duke to win the game, like I said, because I've got them ranked higher in the top 25 and one, and I will just stay true to those rankings. But if I had to, you know, bet the game, I think I'd just take the points. This is a coin flip situation to me. I'll just take the two and a half points. So I, I take Duke to win it straight up, but I would probably, if I got to come out of my own pocket, I'd probably be comfortable taking the Jayhawks plus the two and a half. In fact, I'd buy it up to three. I'd take the Jayhawks plus three and pay the at, at minus 120 or whatever I had to do. <laughs> But give a give a score. What's what's your score prediction? Uh, score prediction for Duke and Kansas. I will go Duke seventy three, Kansas seventy two. All right, I'll go Kansas seventy nine, Duke. Oh uh, no, sorry, yeah, Kansas seventy five, Duke sixty eight. Okay, so we are on the record for that one. Let's move on to the second game of the Champions Classic. It is the headliner. It is going to tip. You know, 30 minutes after the first game, but roughly 9.30 Eastern. It's number one Michigan State against number two Kentucky. Michigan State opened as a two-point favorite over John Calipari's Wildcats. The Spartans are preseason number one, like you said, basically everywhere. AP poll, coaches poll, top 25 and one. Kim Palm in Matt Norlander's one to 353, but they are without Joshua Langford, who averaged 15 points in 13 games last season. He's dealing with what feels like a never-ending foot issue. Michigan State, led by Cassius Winston, CBS Sports preseason national player of the year. He averaged 18.8 points, 7.5 assists last season, shot 40% from three, led Michigan State to 32 wins, helped the Spartans advance to Tom Izzo's eighth final four. On the other side, UK. Top four scores from last season's Elite Eight team are gone, but Ashton Hagens and Emmanuel Quickly are both back, and Calipari's enrolled another top two recruiting class. It has three five-star prospects. So that's what's interesting. 
you know, uh, Memphis, according to 24-7 Sports, has the number one class in America. But Kentucky's got more five-star guys than Memphis has. Memphis has two. James Wiseman, Precious Achua. Kentucky has three five-star prospects, most notably Tyrese Maxey and Khalil Whitney. One issue for Kentucky heading into this thing, Nick Richards isn't healthy right now. The junior center suffered a left ankle sprain in Kentucky's first exhibition. He's reportedly now unlikely to play against Michigan State. So UK will probably be shorthanded in the front court which is a relative weakness on the team with or without Nick Richards and an undeniable weakness without it. Norlander, uh, what interests you most in this number one versus number two showdown? What interests me most is how awesome Cassius Winston is right off the bat. Will he enter uh, this senior season and put up uh, the kind of performance right away against the top two team that, dissuades nobody from the notion that he will be the best player, the most valuable player in college basketball this season. I don't think Michigan State needs him to be that to win this game, but if he can step on the floor and provide 21-8-6 and six right away and Michigan State wins by eight points, that will be a pretty strong uh, opening statement here. Um, to keep an eye on, no Lankford, obviously, and then uh, Kyle Arns. I happened to talk to Tom Izzo a couple of days ago. Uh, he... Kyle Arns was going to try and give, get some practice run this weekend, and he at that point, Izzo still had no real uh, feel as to whether Arns would be able to play. He's got an ankle issue. Uh, he re-aggravated a couple weeks ago. So no, if you tell me no Langford, no Arns, it gets also pretty intriguing, even though Kentucky does not uh, have a fully healthy Nick Richards. But, GP, I got some trivia time for you. You ready? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this is uh, multi-level trivia time. All right, hmm. so we got... We got number one versus number two in college basketball. So first mm-hmm. of all, uh, not including Tuesday's game, how many times in the history of men's Division One do you think number one versus number two have played? Around 40. GP, 42. I knew it was close to that because I remember having to look it up okay. not too long. Okay, yeah, I figure, I figure something like that happened. Okay, how, okay. Second level. How many times, not including Tuesday's matchup, has number one versus number two faced off in the month of November? I have no idea. I'll guess, and let's say five. It is only three, with two of them uh, being in the Champions Classic in recent seasons. Uh, Two years ago, you had Duke beating Michigan State. Uh, That was in Chicago. And then in the third year of the Champions Classic in 2013, uh, Michigan State at number two uh, upset number one Kentucky. Both those uh, Champions Classics were in uh, were in Chicago. There was only one other instance of this. And Tuesday night will be history-making. It will be the first time in the history of men's Division One college basketball that opening night in the sport features number one versus number two. But it is not the first time in the history of men's Division One college basketball that the first game for number one and number two have come against each other. So if you're following me here, this has happened once before, but the season in which it happened, the number one versus number two did not actually happen on the opening night of that season. Parrish, mm-hmm. how many guesses do you think it would take if I had to give you this? 50, 40, 30, 20? I, I- I mean, a million. I, I a million. have no okay, idea. How about this? How about this? It's only happened once before. When it happened, the the teams played on a Saturday, and the season opened as it did for so many years on a Friday. I would say the team 
uh, two prestigious programs, and the team that won the game uh, goes down as a top five team in the history of the sport still. Okay, I'm going to take a stab at this because I remember a big early season game between what I felt like was two of the best teams in the country, and I think the the, the best team beat the other one pretty good. Well, that's true. The best team beat the let other me, one. Let me actually take a guess. Yeah, take a guess. It. It's not. I don't. Yeah, I don't think. I think you're you're you got the right scent, but you're on the wrong path. Is it UNLV Arkansas? It's not. But that's that's an, you, that, that is, they played at some point, and I want to say it was like in Barnhill Arena, and UNLV just went in there and beat their brains in. Well, it, they I'm did. They didn't. Up. But they did. So that that is February tenth, ninety one. Okay. UNLV did win on the road at Arkansas, but that was actually only a seven-point win. Okay. Um, that was actually the highest-scoring game in the history of one versus two in men's D1, uh, 112 versus 105. That was the highest-scoring game. The second highest-scoring actually came uh, when Kansas beat Trey Young in Oklahoma – or, just sorry, Buddy Heald in Oklahoma um, – Three and a half, almost four years ago, that epic, you know, a couple days after New Year's, that was a 109-106 finish. Uh, so the game, but that was good guess, but that was mid-season. Yeah. Why yeah. were they playing in February? Because because college basketball used to be awesome, and you have premier non-conference matchups happening in January and February. That almost never happens anymore. And when it does, it's only the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So, I don't, you know, it, scheduling used to be different. Um we need, the, a, we need a Mountain West SEC Challenge so we can get UNLV Arkansas. Again. I think we do, actually. That's a good point. Um you got to go back even further. It was uh, before I was born, and you must have been like seven or eight at that point. So mid seventies. <laughs> Come on, man! <laughs> I was born in seventy seven, <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't. I, I'm assuming it, it, it involves UCLA then. Yeah, UCLA was on the losing end. So the only other oh, okay. Then it's um, is it uh, is it the Astrodome game? It is not. Uh, okay, is, is it Notre Dame? It is not Notre Dame. I don't know. I wonder how many listeners have gotten this at this point. More than me. I'm not a historian. The only time that number, oh, the only other time that the first game for number one came against number two, and the first game for number two to come against number one was uh, the 1975-76 season. Indiana beat UCLA 84-64 and would go on to win its next 31 games going undefeated that season and the historic Hoosiers. So um, there was history making at the time and then uh, Bobby Knight's team went on to make history. I don't suspect that the winner of this game will wind up going undefeated given that, you know, no one's done it since those Indiana Hoosiers. But a pretty, you know, I bring up the trivia time, GP, because... Um, it is a pretty cool, awesome, and rare thing. And perhaps it was inevitable, given the programs involved here, that we were eventually going to have, and that when the schedule changed, you know, that the Champions Classic rightfully opens the season on Tuesday night, and we don't, we don't have to wait four or five days after when it used to start on a Friday. Uh, nevertheless, we finally have arrived here. A great thing for college hoops, not just that his top four teams are all in the garden to start the season, four big programs, but you actually get number one versus number two. I think that's a pretty awesome deal. So... Michigan State is number one, and like I mentioned, preseason number one, uh, basically according to everybody, humans, computers, everybody. And yet it's it's sort of a weird deal because, yes, they've got Cassius Winston, and he's awesome. But they don't have any obvious first-round draft picks. According to a reference Jonathan Gavoni's mock yeah. draft earlier, he has zero Michigan State players going in the first round, Zero Michigan State players going in the top 44. 
He's got Cassius Winston going 45th, and that is the only Michigan State player that he has in the first or second round in his top 60 picks. That cannot be normal for a preseason number one team, can it? Not in the modern era, it's not, um, which is why I said on this podcast, did a podcast with my buddy Will Leach, the Michigan State, Cassius Winston and Michigan State, if you're one of these like old soul traditional college basketball fans for whatever reason, this is this is your team, man. There is nothing about this team that screams 2019 razzle-dazzle, out-physical you, three lottery picks, freshman galore, and that's not it. This the this Michigan State squad is built and comprised a lot like how teams from 1965 until, you know, 1998 were built when they won national championships here. But what fascinates me with Winston Parrish is, yeah, he could be the best player in college basketball, but he, you know, he... Wins as much with his wits as he does anything else. Does not that's not to say he's not an athlete. He is, but he's not a he's not an A level athlete. Um, the fact that he's, he's pre- little, he's unathletic, and yeah. yet he might really be the best player in basketball, which is not normal. I love that. I love, but Paris, I love that about college basketball. It's not normal, but he is awesome to watch, and and has been, and has continually gotten better. Each season, Cassius Winston might if he's got to he's got to hold his averages, maybe even inch him up just a little bit from last season and play every game. But if he is able to average north of twenty points and eight assists a game, he's going to become the first player in the history of the sport to put up two thousand points and one thousand assists in a career. That's incredible. That's all. That is all time awesome stuff. And when you look at it through that prism, well, I'm, we're going to talk about him plenty, you know, as the season goes along, but. Sparty's had some amazing players, and it's kind of crazy to think like when Denzel Valentine graduated, he had like kind of entered into that top five convo, given that he you know won Player of the Year awards and what he had done for Michigan State that season. Uh, but Cassius Winston can absolutely join that conversation as well, which is no small thing when you look at the history of what Michigan State has uh, in terms of how many great great players they've had. I'll be interested to see though how Kentucky, you know, if we just get into the the ins and outs of the game here at Parish. Um, Athletic guards, Tyrese Maxey's a freshman to watch. Will they put him on him? Will it be Hagans on Winston, who can def- he can definitely handle that assignment? Will they throw different looks at him? I just am most intrigued to see what Cal does with this team because I do believe on Tuesday night we will have two teams on the floor, uh, Kansas and Kentucky, who by the end of the season will be no doubt about it, top five defensive units in America. I would hope from a, um, a viewer's perspective, I mean, we want to get Ashton Hagans against Cashins Winston, right? Yes, for sure. I mean, that's the most fun. I mean, Hagens is this incredible difference maker on the defensive end of the court, an evolving offensive game. But um, if he's going to make money, he's going to make it on that end of the court. And to see the pre, the essentially consensus preseason national player of the year having to deal with Ashton Hagens um, on opening night is just, is just great, great stuff. And then, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that Kentucky's got questions in the front court regardless of of the health of the front court players but if Nick Richards is not going to play and again he most people do not think he's going to play he, it's it's an ankle issue he was in a boot the other night for Kentucky's second exhibition um, our friend Kyle Tucker, who writes for The Athletic and, and covers that team as thoroughly as anybody else if not more so um, he he uh, did a, a pretty all-encompassing piece heading into the regular season on Kentucky that I would encourage anybody to go check out. Like, you read that, you'll have a good sense for exactly what's happening in Lexington and, and the good and the and the not-so-good. And he does not think Nick Richards is going to play. 
He, in fact, he went so far as to say, let's not even talk about Nick Richards right now because I don't think he's going to play on Tuesday night. So with him, they've got questions. But without him, I mean, whoo. I mean, you, 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 you're going to play the number one team in the country and rely on what? Nate Either Sestina, Dave Montgomery, baby. who's been terrible in the preseason, or um, Nate Sestina, who is he, like could be great, but he's a Bucknell transfer. So you've got a Bucknell player or EJ Montgomery, one of the two dealing with the number one team in the country. That's that's not. This is the program that had you know Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. It's a different deal you're going to see on Tuesday night. You're going to besmirch Butler. I mean Bucknell. On this podcast, I, not only will I not do that, I will do this. Ray Bucknell, Ray Bucknell, Ray Bucknell. Nate Sestina is going to step in and have a good game. I'll tell you this though, I, for real though, uh, they could have issues because Xavier Tillman is expected to be a boss, a dude Love. this year. In fact, when we made our top one hundred and one list a few weeks back, uh, Xavier Tillman safely landed inside the top thirty. Uh, but credit to Parrish, who was so hell bent on getting him listed, he kept. He kept submitting his name deep into the 40s and 50s. I'm like, dude, Xavier Tillman made this list three days ago. What are you doing right now? So Xavier Tillman could, um, if, on the Michigan State side of things, if if uh, if they can really get stuff going down low, I actually think Tillman's got a pretty multifaceted game that he's going to be set to put on display and showcase in a really good way here for Michigan State. Uh, EJ Montgomery for Kentucky has got to take a big leap. Um, I'll be, I'll be, mo- I, I guess I'm curious when we podcast. Tuesday night from the Garden after both these games finish and the, and the dust settles and the interviews are done, what will we be talking about with Kentucky? Win or lose, what they showed, what they didn't show. Is Ashton Hagen's going to introduce a, a reliable jump shot? Will we get that? Are we going to see a Kentucky team that is completely one-dimensional, or will they show up and surprise us a bit and be able to, to shut down Michigan State and win in spite of uh, some front court issues? Or will we have Nate Sestina hopping in and being an impact player right away. You know, Reed Travis, who came from Stanford, another recent grad transfer, obviously, I would say he was not as good overall as Kentucky fans might have expected him to be. Granted, I know he was a plenty good player, but he was not the kind of guy who some were projecting to be like this 22-13 and 13 monster. He wasn't that. Uh, Sestina's not the same kind of player, but for the second consecutive season, you have a grad transfer front court player stepping in at Kentucky who will be expected to be more than just a piece like they're going to need uh, a lot from him because Montgomery needs to make a leap and then Richards isn't healthy and even when he does get healthy Nick Richards still has not played to the level uh, that he was expected to when he arrived on campus so the front court issues are a real thing with Kentucky the wings and guards not quite as much uh, but again on a, on a certain level I do think that the Wildcats have the most house money entering while while knowing full well that the fan base expects more from that program than any of the other ones that are going to be playing here and that's not to belittle any of the other three passionate fan bases but you and I both know like Kentucky commands the largest beat of reporters to cover that team locally the fan base is the fan base it's the most passionate in the sport and so uh, i'll be interested to see uh who they are and how they show up on tuesday the more details on ej montgomery uh top 10 player in the class of 2018 five-star guy but even last year um just was non a non-factor he 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 played 15 minutes a game, but averaged 3.8 points, 4.1 rebounds, and like I mentioned, was not good in this preseason. I don't know that they, quote, need him to be good to beat Michigan State, but uh, they need somebody in the front court to be good to beat Michigan State. So, and it's probably, just based on the roster situation, got to be E.J. Montgomery or, or Nate Sestina, who, by the way, was good in the two exhibitions and could be, as you point out, the second straight grad transfer to have a big impact. Um at Kentucky, but how often 
you know, is, is Kentucky going into a season opener and they don't have the best front court player, um, you know, on on the on the court. I mean, this is the school that's had DeMarcus Cousins, uh, and, you know, Anthony Davis. Uh, well, they didn't, they uh, didn't have it last year. What <laughs> Zion? Who did they play last year? Oh, Zion. Yeah. They did not have it last year, so this it could be two straight <laughs> seasons. Yeah, they didn't have the best of anything <laughs> last year. Well, last year, though. yeah, and just as I know, Kentucky fans know this full well, but last year was statistically the worst loss of John Calipari's career. We're not going to get anything close to that. Like, I actually think um, I'm writing a quick preview post that Parrish is doing in the first game. I'm doing the second game uh, that we'll have on the site on Monday. Um, and I write in there. I think I think the worst case scenario for Kentucky, like the worst, is like a 15 point loss, and that's if everything clicks for Michigan State. And I think the best case scenario, like if you told me Kentucky won by nine or ten points, if all went right, and Michigan State just wasn't quite what we thought it would be, like I do think that is possible here. Um, but it's the offense for Kentucky. I want to see how well it can shoot uh, if it does have a three point attack overall. And uh, you know, Tyrese Maxey, I'm I'm super excited to see him. But you know, how much they put the ball in his hands, how much they rely on him on from game one, we'll see because they do have some returning presence there. The other thing I'm looking forward to seeing in this game is like we've spent some time talking about Kentucky's front court. Like I'm not sure how great Michigan State's front court is. Like I I'm assuming somebody's going to emerge next to Xavier Tillman, but like. Do we know who that guy is? Um, well, I mean, you know, Kyle Arnes is kind of a kind of an understatement. I guess I would say this: the Michigan State Xavier Tillman, I think, is going to be great. Like in the conversation, most improved player in the country right. statistically, all that stuff. A guy, if we look up at the end of the year, and Michigan State's got two All Americans, mm-hmm. and it's Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman, that will not be a surprise to me. But who plays beside him? I, I guess I'd put it this way. They do not have an obvious, experienced, proven option or, um, you know, a heralded freshman that's just ready to, to, to plug in and go. Right. And Aaron Henry's like a little undersized, but he is a front court player. Um, he did make our top 101. Um, I, I do think that Aaron Henry, uh, you know, playing uh, a multifaceted front court position will be. Uh, a fruitful player. I think he's going to be really good. I think if you were looking at Michigan State's roster this season, it would it would go Winston, big drop off, Tillman, a little bit of drop off, then Henry and Arns right there, just in terms of impact overall, and then depending on when Langford gets healthy, if you can pr- pr- produce or whatever. But yes, if you want to have you know step back, look at it, front court for Michigan State. How reliable is this? You know, look right now. We have to wait and see. You know, they've got a what, like a six ten kid, Marcus Bingham, a sophomore. Uh, what will he or will he not be? I don't know. But yeah, there's no, there's no guarantee. There's a lot on the shoulders of Tillman. There's, there's no doubt about that. But I do think that he will live up to that and wind up being, a, you know, borderline top five player in the Big Ten. On on Kentucky's side, you know, I mentioned um, I went and read the the uh, expanse, the really good piece from Kyle Tucker over at the Athletic. Just sort of he broke down statistically all of the preseason stuff, and then he's had his eyes on this team. You know, like I, I know Kentucky's exhibitions are available on television if you want to watch them, but like I don't know how many non-Kentucky fans are actually watching exhibition college basketball games. But he said um, that he thinks. Emmanuel quickly might be Kentucky's best player, which would be interesting because let's say they start on Tuesday night, um, you know, in some form, uh, Ashton Hagens, Tyrese Maxey, and Emmanuel quickly. A- Ashton Hagens is, I believe, in the top 30 of our top 101 players. Um, Tyrese Maxey is, is, is right there as well. 
I'm not sure we had Emmanuel Quickly in the top 101, and if he actually turns into Kentucky's best player, well, there's no scenario where Kentucky's best player isn't in the top 101 of any list. That's true. I don't think that he will be, but um, just need to be more consistent with Quickly there. Uh, with Hagen's. It's obvious to see what he does well. He does extremely well, can be great at it. Uh, Maxi has, I think, the most natural talent now of anyone on this roster. And if, it's just one of those things where if Quickly is the third best player on the team and he's a really, really good third best player, then Kentucky's going to have maybe the best backcourt in America. And if they're consistent defensively, then they're going to probably uh, have come true what I said on CBS Sports HQ, a bold prediction. I think Kentucky, I'm going to give you my, I'm going to just tell you, I think Kentucky will lose this game. And I do not think Kentucky will lose again mm. until it plays Texas Tech in the SEC Big 12 Challenge near the end of January. I think this team, because of the schedule, because of its uh, experience coming back, because of what I think it will grow into, I think we will have a Kentucky loss on Tuesday, and then they will not lose again until Texas Tech. And then from there, they'll take a few uh, scrapes in the SEC because of the way that schedule lines up overall. But, uh, but yeah, Michigan State over Kentucky is my pick, GP. Uh, I'm going to go 76-72 uh, in a pretty close game. Okay, um, my pick for the game, and again, I'm just going to stay true to the CBS Sports Top 25 and 1. I've got Michigan State number 1. Um, I, I'll go Michigan State to beat Kentucky, let's say 74-71. Michigan State 74-71. I do think we'll have a, a, a competitive game, and I'm not ruling out. That's the other great thing about Tuesday night we can both make predictions and like you know and and there's nothing crazy about any outcome like you uh, uh, Kansas wins then Kentucky wins uh, Duke wins then Kentucky wins uh, Kansas wins then Michigan State nothing is nothing's crazy and so I'll take Michigan State to win the game but you know if we're talking again late Tuesday night and and Kentucky has upset Michigan State and then put itself in a position to be number one in the AP poll come the subsequent Monday, that um, that's not that's not wild to me. Uh, how about this? Crazier things will happen in the opening week of college basketball than Kentucky beating the preseason number one team on Tuesday night. I agree. Um, before we wrap up with a couple fun things, I will just give quick quick no analysis needed here. But these are it's these two games and nothing else. But there are two games to track or keep your eye on. St. Mary's plays Wisconsin in a neutral court game in South Dakota at 9 o'clock on Tuesday. That'll just be interesting because Wisconsin doesn't have half. St. Mary's might have, might. We'll see. They got Jordan Ford, this dude who's slippery as hell and a lot of fun. Could be a top three St. Mary's team in program history. Interested to see what happens there. And then Louisville, GP, you have Louisville third in your rankings? I have Louisville fourth. I think, or I don't know, certainly top five. Well, I think you have them. Yeah, yeah. I've them four. They're in the final four. I've got Correct. Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky, Louisville, Kansas is my top five. So the only other game that I would say is worth tracking. Listen, a lot of almost everyone plays Tuesday night, uh, and maybe we'll get some shocking results, and we'll talk about them if necessary. But heading into it, the only other game that's like hmm, maybe that might be something to track is Louisville because the ACC Network debut or has debuted, but for college basketball purposes, debuts on Tuesday. Uh, ACC Network will be carrying Louisville. Louisville opening its season on the road 
at Miami, which I don't think sets up to be an NCAA tournament team, but you got to start your season on the road against a staff that knows who you know knows your knows your stuff. That's a tricky spot. It's obviously uncommon for preseason ranked teams to start their seasons on the road, but that is indeed what's happening with Louisville, and it is what's happening uh, with reigning national champion Virginia, which has to play in conference because the ACC network at Syracuse. But that game is not Tuesday. That game will be Wednesday night. So we both got Michigan State uh, winning in the Champions Classic. So let's move on to a couple of other things that we teased uh, on the last podcast before we get out of here. Um, our, our, our friend and our colleague, Cal Boone, um, not to be confused with Cal Porter, Cal Boone, he had a post at CBS Sports uh, last week detailing uh, the best values in terms of betting odds to actually win the national title, to cut nets down at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in downtown Atlanta. Uh, Norlander, I-, I know you've looked at them. I've looked at them. I don't want to go through all of them. I think most people know Michigan State is the betting favorite in Las Vegas. But in terms of getting the most bang for your buck, you know, like if this team wins the title and they are a reasonable pick to win the title, you can really cash a big ticket. Give me your two favorite value bets um, when it comes to uh, the champion of the 2020 NCAA tournament. One of them is Seton Hall at sixty to one. Uh, I think that's a really good bet right now. For now, it might be that low. Sometimes I think with some of these programs, if you haven't been vying for Final Fours, you know, in a given time span, you're less likely to get the benefit of the doubt. And maybe that's fair. But Seton Hall, we could we could come to find Miles Power. Miles Powell is the National Player of the Year at the end of the season. Um, they bring back a ton. They've they've got a lot of length and a lot of height on that on that team. Uh, I I think that it's Providence, Seton Hall, and Villanova that are really clustered to be the best in the Big East. And then there's a lot of separation until you get to the Xavier's and everyone else in that conference overall. But at sixty to one. And at 15 to one to make the final four, 60 to one to win it overall. Uh, if you're looking for a value bet there, I think that is pretty good overall. Um, if you wanted to go a little bit deeper, Washington. And to be fair, there has been news since this was published, so maybe it's changed. I was going to pick Maryland at 40, 40 to one, but I thought maybe you're going to pick that, and that might be a little bit too obvious. So I wanted to go even deeper for value. Washington at eighty to one. They got Quade Green eligible, and I don't. I'm not saying Quade Green's going to be a top ten player in the Pac-12, but that is a serious addition in the backcourt for a Washington team that could really use it because they got Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels, two players. Like I think Washington will have two of the five best players in the conference between those two, and. You know, this is this isn't who we think will make the final four or win it all. I'm talking about the best relative value here. The Washington Huskies at eighty to one win the national championship when they could conceivably have two lottery picks on the roster, get some experience with Quadra Green, and still plenty returning from an NCAA tournament team overall. They were the other one to me that is particularly with Green's eligibility to me that stood out. So Hall at sixty to one and Washington at eighty one were my top two in what is obviously a deep list. I I picked two as well, and Seton Hall was one of them. Yes, at sixty to one, I've got them twelfth in the preseason top twenty-five and one. I've got them as the favorite to win the Big East. If I can get the Big East champ at sixty to one, uh, I'm going to be happy to do that. And you were right; you know me as well as I know myself. My other one was Maryland at forty to one. I've got the Terps um, sixth in the preseason top twenty-five and one. Shouts to our editor Adi Joseph. Um, but yeah, if I can get the, if I can get the team that I've got six at 40 to one, I'll go ahead and, and do that. Like I've got Memphis seven behind Maryland. Memphis is 18 to one. 
So I'm getting a team that I've got on paper better than Memphis at 40 to 1 when Memphis is 18 to 1. I've got Louisville at number 4 in the top 25 and 1. They're 16 and 1. I've got Florida below Maryland. Now, you can say that I'm wrong and you might be right, but I've got Florida below Maryland at number 9 in the top 25 and 1. They're 14 to 1. And so if I can get Maryland at 40 to 1, I'll take Maryland at 40 to 1. So I've got Seton Hall Maryland, you've got Seton Hall Washington, and I will say that uh, Washington makes a lot of sense to me. Like, strip away everything you know or care about the Huskies and just focus on this. Two projected lottery picks and a guy who started games for Kentucky isn't going to be in the starting lineup. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world. So if Washington is really good – in fact, of the teams that I have unranked in the preseason top 25-1, and one, the one that I think is best equipped to make me look ridiculous, <laughs> probably Washington, based on talent. Well, yeah, and I – there is the potential there, um, and I think collectively the Pac-12 will be better. I like Arizona. I like Oregon. like Washington. The top three there look to, look to be set up to be uh, pretty good. All right, what about over-unders, GP? Because we got uh, the DraftKings over-unders for this season. This will actually be pretty interesting. I know we only have a select few here, uh, but we've never done this on the podcast in the past. I'm excited to do it. Please, some listener. Actually, this is my – we've had a couple listeners do this in the past, so I'm going to put this out to you again. Please please keep track of this stuff because I want – Parrish, we should have some sort of like playful wager that's – that's on the line at the end of the season here. So uh, our game picks, but also with this for over-under for the season, do uh, you want to toss out the uh, the teams and the numbers here, and we'll we'll take our stabs yeah. at it? Okay, so we've got one. I, I didn't do them. I didn't get them all. I just grabbed, like, the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. I grabbed the top 12 in terms of projected win totals, and we will go over-under on those. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time explaining why you're going over-under because it's like... I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. The answer is pretty, and I I recognize how silly it is for me to say, "Hey, Norlander, keep it short here." <laughs> okay, you know but, about uh, keeping things short. I'm aware of that GP. Let's uh, let's let's roll with this here. The explanation is is, is obviously like uh, I don't think that team's going to be as good as Vegas does, or I do I, I do think that team's going to be better than than Vegas does. So we'll go over unders on these twelve teams, and the loser has to pay with his life. <laughs> no. <laughs> not agreeing to that. The loser must die. No, not gonna happen. Uh, at least I hope not. Uh, if it does, you're gonna. I'm. Gonna, I'm requesting the listeners uh, call the authorities. Um, how about let's do something better than a dinner, though? Like, uh, I don't know. I got to think about that. How about how about this? How about the loser buys concert tickets to the winner's artist of choice in their respective geographical region? Deal. Sweet. I just Deal. listened to the Sturgill Simpson record again, and uh, I don't know when he's in my – I think he's in my area uh, next year. So that's just – that's that springs to mind. If you're not listening to Sturgill Simpson record, it's quite good. So, but He's coming like five minutes from my house. Um, I want to say in March. I'm worried I'm not going to be here. I'm going to – Yeah, I'm that's wor- – yeah. I'm worried I'll be in New York. Yeah, um, But true. he is coming. It was just announced like last week. I was driving home, and I saw it on the thing. I was like, Sturgill Simpson's coming like five miles from my house? Same place that hosted a Trump rally earlier in the year. So um, <laughs> it, it'll, it'll be a, a scene, I'm, I'm certain. But, yes, I'm with you. The Sturgill Simpson album is uh, – it's one of those albums that – we're not going to get into this. But it's one of those albums that whether you like – that kind of music or not people basically across the border going this is super interesting right yeah. i mean that the, the 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 consensus on it is like this this is super it's an interesting album it's a fun album and so yes if you haven't checked that out and you're interested in music at all go check that out all right to the over-unders all right we'll start with gonzaga gonzaga has a projected win total 
higher than anybody else in the country. And the first two, by the way, are Gonzaga and Memphis, and that's based largely on league affiliation. One plays in the West Coast Conference, one plays in the American Athletic Conference. Gonzaga, 27.5, and these are regular season wins. So this doesn't include the West Coast Conference tournament, and it won't include anybody's conference tournaments. Regular season wins, 27.5. You're going over or under? Oh, I... All right, Gonzaga, their toughest non-con. I'll be quick with this. I'm just going to lay this out for listeners real quick. Their toughest non-con games are at Texas A&M, at Washington, at Arizona, hosting North Carolina. If those are four L's right there, uh, they're done. Uh, they'll get a win. They'll get at least one win in that. I will go uh, 27 and a half. I will go under. I'm going under as well. Memphis, 26.5. I'm under on this. I told you at Peach Jam in July, I was – we actually uh, – UI, some writers and some folks, uh, I think we kind of did the quick math on this. Um, I'm definitely under – you said it was 26.5. Parrish, I think if it was 23.5, I'd still go under. So I'm definitely going under. And although in July I feel like you might have gone over, I don't see you picking Memphis to win 27 games. No, I would go over 23.5, but 26.5 means that's they'd insane, ha- actually. They'd have to enter the AAC tournament 27 and 4. Uh, with, 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 with basically road games at Oregon and Tennessee and Houston and Cincinnati and Wichita. Yeah. And, just, and you're relying on, on almost all freshmen. Like they're going to lose a game or two that they're not supposed to lose, that it's going to be an embarrassment. Like 27 and 4 yeah, is that's too crazy. High. It's too high, especially when you consider James Wiseman hasn't played in either exhibition. And the reason, according to the University of Memphis, is that um, he's dealing with an ankle injury. But I'll tell you, I was at the Memphis exhibition last Monday night, and he worked out pregame. You could probably find the video on Twitter. He, he was running around working out pregame, looking like like the first pick in the draft. He looked amazing. <laughs> that's terrible coaching. All, Parrish, then that's terrible coaching already. You can't have the message be James Wiseman has an ankle issue and no one's on top of James Wiseman just going around doing his thing in pregame, okay? Especially <laughs> in a town like Memphis. You can't – where folks like yourself are on radio talking about this literally every day and worry, worries continue to bubble up because he has not actually spent time in a Memphis uniform in a game yet. No, you're exactly right. I, I thought it was crazy that they would allow him to work out like that in front of reporters because if you're not going to play him and then say he's dealing with an ankle injury, and like we all just saw him, and he doesn't look like he's dealing with an ankle injury, it, it brings about questions. But here's the thing. What, what, what the, the official, uh, you know, from Penny Hardaway explanation is, is that like, listen, this is a guy who's a, this is a different guy. He's maybe the number one pick in the draft, and like we're going to be super careful, and it sounds like. Nobody's saying this uh, 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 um, definitively. It sounds like James is holding himself out as opposed to Memphis holding himself out. I don't think the Memphis trainers told him you're not good to go as much as James and his people, to whatever that means, have said, you know what, this is just an exhibition. He's maybe the number one pick in the draft. We're not going to mess with any even little type of thing. But here's here's the point I'm making. If he's going to sit out every time something little exists, then he ain't going to play all the games this season because little things pop up in basketball all the time. And so that's just another reason to go under 26.5. I would go under 26.5. So we're both under on Gonzaga, under on Memphis. Next up, Duke, 25.5. Under. Next. 
<laughs> I'm going over only because I've got them second in the top 25 and one. If they're really going to live up to what I say they're going to be, they got to get over 25.5 before the ACC tournament. Michigan State, 25.5. <sighs> Non-con against Kentucky. They go to Seton Hall in mid-November. Um, they are playing in Maui. They host Duke. Uh, Parrish, I will go over by the I, – I think they barely get over. The last game, they host Ohio State to close out the regular season. They will win that game to go over. I'm Michigan State over 25.5 as well. Kentucky, 24.5 over under. I will go over because I stick with them not losing a second game until mid-January or late January. That Texas Tech game is January 25th. Um, after Michigan State, the toughest game Kentucky has is neutral will be there in Vegas against Ohio State at the CBS Sports Classic. They do not play a road game in non-conference except for Texas Tech. I will go over. Are we going to disagree yet or are we still on the same page? Now I'm over 24.5 for Kentucky as well. North Carolina, 24.5. Okay, I think this is where we split. I will go <laughs> I will go over on this because I believe Carolina will wind up finishing atop the ACC regular season standings. It might share that with another team or two, but I think that it will it will be atop that. Um, Roy Williams again, uh being awesome and being willing to play on the road. I am not going to call UNC Wilmington Wofford. That will not happen. UNC Wilmington will not be Wofford. But like last season when UNC was willing to go on the road against Wofford and Elon, their second game of the season will be at UNC Wilmington. Um, they play uh, Gonzaga, as I mentioned. They host Wofford in that return game. They've got UCLA in the CBS Sports Classic. The ACC will be interesting. Parish, I will go ever so slightly over. I'm going under North Carolina 24.5, but I will go over Cole Anthony 24.5 points per game maybe. Uh, Villanova 24.5. They got at Ohio State in the Gavit games next week. Um, They play at St. Joe's. They host Kansas. They host UConn. They're at Temple. These are all non-con games, obviously. Um I will go under on Villanova because I think they are – yeah, I'll go under. I think the, the – yeah, I'll go under. I'll go over Villanova 24.5. Kansas, 24 even. Over. A high confidence in the over. Kansas is scheduled to play, what, 31 non-conference games. Um, they are at – I assume that this accounts for the fact that they get Chaminade in in the Maui. They they open with Chaminade at Maui, um, so they've got that. They're at Nova. They're at Stanford. Random, but I love it. Bill Self. Uh, they host Tennessee, uh, but I'm way in on Kansas this year. I'm I'm very confident in that over. Yeah, Kansas should actually be. I uh, correct myself. Twenty four point five. Uh, but yeah, I'm going over. Kansas over twenty four point five. Virginia, twenty three point five. Fascinating number. Um. That is that is really intriguing. Uh, Virginia uh, will play thirty games. See, teams will either play thirty or thirty-one for the most part. Uh, they don't have a traditional uh, November like uh, three-game bracket tournament. They're playing in the Hall of Fame thing, actually up in my state in Connecticut at the end of November. Um, they open with Syracuse, and then they're going to host Vermont. They play at Purdue. Um, the the non-con isn't totally threatening. Uh, 
at Purdue is obviously the biggie. Uh, the, just the question becomes, how good are they in ACC play? And I will go over with Virginia here because I'm going to stick with this. Until I see Tony Bennett not in this new era, past five, six seasons, until I see the Wahoos not be able to be awesome and finishing one or two in the in the ACC pretty much annually, I'm not going to pick them against doing that. And if I'm going to stick with that, that means they will go over that number for sure. I like Virginia. I think they'll be good. I think good could still keep them under. So I'm going to go Virginia under 23.5. If you care, Ken Palm's got them projected to be um, a 22-win team. That seems – I mean, listen, it's not out of the realm of possibility, Parrish, but a 22-win team – Virginia well, they, going they, to the ACC they might tournament? be wow. in in some sort of event that's going to give them extra games that's not no, listed on. I don't. No, no, no. Because I just did all this. So I did a whole. If you're if you're curious, listeners, I did a whole non-conference evaluation thing. So I had to look at every damn team's thing. They don't have one of they. They're playing in uh, at Mohegan Sun, but it's just a two-round event, if you will. Um, so yeah, no, that is. You know, I don't know if Palm's algorithm uh, accounts for that. I assume it does, but. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's. But wild. even that two round game, we don't know who they're playing the second game, right? Right. They start with Massachusetts, and then I can't recall it off the top of my head. But it's not like some world beater. Okay, well then that would that would give them twenty three wins then according to Ken because like, yeah. Ken will not have a game listed if it's not. Yeah, yeah, a- yeah I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha, you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, it, it, either way, it, it Ken's projections are right on the number i'm going to go under uh 23.5 on virginia louisville 22.5 jeez i like uh, the way you start every answer with ooh, ah yeah geez. it's getting sensual <laughs> sensual podcasting um louisville uh they are they should have this on Pornhub, where they just they got a guy and he just asks uh, some of the uh, adult mm. actresses. He just asks them college basketball over unders, mm. and then they're like, "Ooh, yeah, Louisville, twenty two point five. Louisville's big non con games. They host Michigan. They play Texas Tech at MSG. Uh, for I, I'm talking off the top of my head. I'm almost positive that's a Jimmy V though. And uh, they are at Kentucky uh, this year in that rivalry. Twenty two and a half. <sighs> Oh man, this is my this Paris. This is the toughest call yet for me. Um, I will go under. I'll say Louisville finishes at 22 wins heading into the ACC tournament. I'm going Louisville over. I'm a big believer in Chris Max Cardinals. I've got them fourth in the preseason top 25 and one. Our friend uh, John Rostein, my co- our colleague CBS Sports, he's got um second in his preseason ranking. So I'm a believer in Louisville. Louisville over 22.5. Ohio State 22.5. Um, that seems a little easier to me. I will say under, I think Ohio state like Kansas, like Kentucky actually has potential to be a top five defensive unit in America, but I don't know if they're going to get there, uh, that many 23 wins. They're big. Uh, they open up with Cincinnati on Wednesday. That's actually a fairly intriguing game on the second day of the season. They will host Villanova a week later, and then uh, they play at UNC come early December. Those are some of the not, the biggest ones, and then they're at uh, versus Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic in Vegas in December. I will go under for Ohio State. Mark me down for the Buckeyes having 20 wins at the start of the Big Ten tournament. I am also under 22.5 on Ohio State. And the last team, mm-hmm. Texas. Tech, 22.5. The Red Raiders getting a lot of respect here because of that, because what Beard did last season when he lost 
a lot of pieces, and then they go and they make the national championship game, which Texas Tech made the freaking national championship game. Um, they got a neutral against Iowa, a neutral against Louisville. Uh, they are hosting Kentucky, obviously, as we previously mentioned. Big 12 will be good again. Parish, I'm going to go under, and I'm going to he I hesitate with that, but I will just barely go under there. There's going to be really, really good again, I think. Pretty sure another like top five defensive team could well be that, uh, but I'll go under. Imagine assuming Chris Beard's going to underachieve. <laughs> imagine, imagine being Fair. the guy. Imagine. Fair. Being the guy. Imagine being the college basketball expert who thinks Chris Beard's going to suddenly underachieve. Like, all the guy does is win way more than he's supposed to win. I'll, a, go, I'll go. Oh, that would be my. That would be my best bet. It's just uh, over. Chris Beard over no matter what because the guy's he he does more than he's supposed to do basically every year. Uh completely valid point. This is he has been incredible. This is just his fifth season. Let's just. And, and by the way, by the way, what I'm saying that he does more than he's supposed to do every year is presumably baked into this number, right? I would think so. Right. Um, do you ha I, I wanted to hit two more teams, but do you have the list in front of you or no? Um, I do not, no. Uh, hold on. Yeah, I can't find it. All right. I wanted to know what Arizona and what Maryland were. Let's just do it on our own here. Arizona, because I think those are two of the more, more intriguing ones. Um, I'll bring up the Ken Palm page. Maryland, according to Pomeroy, is projected to win 19 games in the regular season. That doesn't account for the other two games they'll play. Let's split that and call it 20. So call it 20 and a half. Over, under, Maryland, 20 and a half wins in the regular season. I'm going to go over because I like Mark Turgeon, and if he doesn't hit that number, the Maryland fans are going to want to assassinate him. Yeah, that's got to be over. Um, that's <laughs> with the assassination. Plus. Good God. <laughs> just, just, I mean, just I don't, really I don't mean literally, but like, no, I do mean literally. Okay. I don't think they will assassinate him, but they'll want to. The desire will emanate. All right, I feel you. Um, the other, t I, yeah, we are both. I think we're both aggressively on the over there. Um, and then Arizona, who I am, uh, I think I'm higher on the. Uh, I don't get me wrong; like they're projected to be top twenty-five level team. I think that Arizona is going to win the Pac-12. Uh, they play in the uh, Wooden Legacy, so right now, not including that, they're accounted for twenty-one wins. Let's go that to over under twenty-two and a half wins for Sean Miller's Arizona Wildcats, who only have one road game in non-conference play, and that is at. That's right. We're bringing this baby full circle. Bears, Baylor, December 7th. Arizona, 22 and a half wins in the regular season. Over or under to Sean Miller. And the Arizona fans love you. Remember that before you answer this question. I do. I do. I do know they love me. I'm going to go over. I'm a believer in Arizona. I think Arizona is going to overachieve this season, uh, be r r nationally relevant this season, and then get absolutely hammered by the NCAA. <laughs> That's my prediction. <laughs> Could be parallels with uh, with Cara with Kansas and Arizona this season. Uh, that is totally realistic. Arizona, by the way, opens the season on Wednesday hosting Northern Arizona, which will be mildly awkward because Northern Arizona's head coach was Jack Murphy. In the offseason, he was like, you know what, guys, I got to be out. <laughs> and he goes and he is now the lead assistant for Sean Miller. So he will be coaching against the team that he led for five, six seasons there. Arizona has Illinois on Sunday this upcoming week and a week from when we're recording this now. The Wildcats really won't have a game of note uh, of real importance, barring an unexpected loss uh, until they get Baylor on the road in early uh, December there. So we actually probably won't be talking about the Wildcats unless they lose. Uh, for probably at least a month or so. But we both like them to be the over as well. Just intrigue on those numbers, and uh, there you have it. So, uh, next up, 
Um, the Champions Classic on Tuesday. Keep an eye on CBS Sports HQ late Monday and all day Tuesday. Norlander and I will be all over it. Um, Ashton Hagens is scheduled to join us. Bill Self is scheduled to join us. Tom Izzo is scheduled to join us. Is Mike Krzyzewski scheduled to join us as no, well? No, Trey Jones is scheduled to join us. Okay, so Trey Jones, Ashton Hagens, we'll have two of the best point guards in America. We'll have two Hall of Fame coaches. We'll be talking amongst ourselves. That's all on CBS Sports HQ. That'll be uh, late Monday and all day Tuesday. And then Norland and I will both be inside Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night. We will record a podcast from Madison Square Garden uh, late Tuesday night. So if you're up, um, check it out uh, late Tuesday. If, if you're not, up. You should- if you're up, perish. That thing's Dude, going, I'm not sure I'll be up. That thing is going up in the feed at like 2 a.m. So the podcast will be waiting for you when you wake up for your Wednesday commute. By no means do am I going to ask any listener, even the West Coast ones, if you're up. Somebody, you think the whole world's asleep at two a.m.? Somebody, hey, up. shouts to our, you know, shouts to our uh, Japanese-based listeners. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I think I actually, you know what? I know for a fact we've got some Aussies who love us. So I think you know what? For that side of the world, we do not take you for granted. Uh, the podcast will be ready for you at whatever point during the day uh, two a.m. Eastern is falls for you. Just know that uh, if you're waiting, it will be coming not so long after Michigan State and Kentucky wrap. Man. Maybe we'll do a, a Rui Hachimura segment just so, like, the you know, we'll give him something. Uh, yeah, maybe or maybe not. We'll just do a little five minutes on Rui Hachimura, see if we can tap into that Japanese audience in the middle of the night. You got to think, Norlander. You got to keep thinking. How do you grow the podcast? Maybe it's just focus on Rui Hachimura and then publish at 2 a.m. Eastern. Boom. Numbers go through the roof. If you're up, we mean like nobody. Somebody will listen to this at 2 a.m. Somebody in the United States of America will be up and listening to this podcast at 2 a.m. Late Tuesday, early Wednesday. Do you think co- did, did cocaine stop existing? I Somebody's hope, awake. I hope they live closer to you than to me. Somebody's going to be grinding their head in a pillow, can't go to sleep, and we'll have an episode of the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast ready for them. So uh, late Tuesday if you're up. Early Wednesday, if you are not, and if you got a Coke problem, seriously, get help, because that's like no way to live. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And we will talk to you again late Tuesday from Madison Square Garden after the Champions Classic. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.